This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, today with John Langford. My name is Alex Rawls, and 12 Songs of Christmas is my podcast exploring Christmas music and the way it fits into the careers of the people who make it. In the case of John Langford, that question is part of a bigger question. How does Christmas music fit into the larger network of activity that constitutes his career? He's best known as part of the British punk band The Mekons, who have endured for more than 40 years despite being at odds with the music industry and popular taste pretty much the whole time. Director Joe Angio told part of that story in his 2014 documentary, Revenge of the Mekons. And you can read my interview with Angio and Langford about the band and the project at myspeltmilk.com. Langford is also part of the outlaw punk country band The Waco Brothers, and he has been involved in solo projects, side projects, and an art career that, all combined, have allowed him to make a living from the arts for all these years. His dalliances with Christmas music come out of that buzz of activity as well as his roots in Wales. He was born and grew up in Newport, moved to England to go to university at Leeds, where the Mekons were formed, and he's lived in Chicago since the early 1990s. As time has passed, he's explored his Welsh upbringing, and we talk about some of that in our conversation, so I won't go into it further here. Once we finished, though, our conversation continued via text. He sent me the link to a video of a Welsh Christmas tradition that he never witnessed personally, but he thought it was so interesting that he passed it along. I'll post it in the show notes. It's pretty inscrutable, only in part because the song is sung in Welsh. To help give this song some context, here is Langford with the Mekons singing one of his best-known non-Christmas songs, Memphis, Egypt. We'll pick up the conversation on the other side. Christmas growing up in the uh, Langford house? Uh, in South Wales. Uh, it was very, uh, you know, Welsh matriarchal Christmas. A lot of aunties and uh, grandmothers and, you know, just that. It was uh, just a really busy, busy social time. Um, 
parties every night, events all the time. Um, Christmas morning, my they they like to go to church, and I used to try and find ways to get out of that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was pretty much a, a constant kind of series of events in the house. So I, I, you know, every year it was the same. Like their friends would come for drinks on a Friday night, then Saturday night we would we would have everyone over, or we'd go to my grandmother's. Then or on Christmas night, then Boxing Day was the big thing, and that was then we'd have my father's side of the family over for lunch, and then uh, it was it was kind of wild. It was just uh, you know just very very hectic. I remember, and but I loved it. You know, Christmas was. Uh, just a really good time and I didn't really attach any particular meaning to it other than it was this time that you kind of got to hang out with your family and friends and it was kind of everyone was in a really good mood and probably drunk <laughs> so what um I mean I, what were there were there icons or images that that were tied to Christmas I mean I mean in the way in the way that Santa is tied to Christmas here? You know, it's, I, I haven't really noticed it change that much. Yeah, we had Santa, we had all that stuff. That's post-war kind of Americanization had already taken root by the time I was a kid. So, you know, we had Bewitched on the TV and, you know, Hogan's Heroes and stuff like that. And, nah, <laughs> we were, you know, we were already the 51st state. Right. So not, not formally, you know. Yeah, I mean, America was like, it was, it was very, I, I can't really, I think, I guess people have always said Christmas is getting more commercialized whatsoever, but I, I don't know, it was, it was snow and Santa more than it was, you know, Jesus, put it that way. Right. Um, what was your relationship to Christmas music as you were growing up? My mother used to play Christmas records all the time. It was Christmas, so the Christmas records would come out. And I remember she had Herb Albert's Tijuana Brass doing a series of Christmas carols. So, you know, wow. God rest ye merry gentlemen. So just a Tijuana style. She really liked that. She was, uh, Wales, there's a lot of singing, so... I remember not wanting to go to church on Christmas morning to the Church of England church, but I would sneak into the kind of uh, carol services mm -hmm. and they would have a midnight mass at the church just up the up the road from me. And some friends of ours, we'd usually go in there after the pub, you know, go to the pub and then go in there. And this is when we were teenagers. And, you know, you could kind of drink illegally when you're from 15 on in South Wales. So... We would have a few drinks and then go and, you know, just sing Christmas carols. I always really, I always really liked that kind of communal singing. I mean, the church was really wrapped up in our lives on one level. Like, there was a lot of churches and there was a lot of people who went to church and there was, but nobody was particularly religious, if you know what I mean. Sure. I'd say to my mother, you know, there'd be a new priest to the church. Yeah. Uh, I was the new priest, you know, I was turned up and she'd be like, oh, he's a bit religious, <laughs> you know, and basically they, they, they didn't want to be, you know, they didn't want to be told all these difficult things and they just want, it was, you know, church was a kind of, and the, the Welsh Baptist churches where my grandmother's side of the family were up, up the valleys of the coal mining valleys. I mean, those were, it was just singing basically. 
Right. I think there was a bit in the middle where the kind of guy got up and spoke for a bit, and then the rest of the service was just singing, and there was no, you know, sacrament or anything like that. But you know, it, it was odd. It was a, a secular pagan festival. Yeah. Right. Well, it, and it would have been more so. It, it the church was more of a social center than a spiritual center. Yeah, it was a community center, I think, for people, right. you know. And it was dying off throughout those years. You know, it was definitely people. You know, it's like a place where older people went, and you know, it was fading away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm glad you mentioned the singing because I remember uh, interviewing. Um, uh, Judith Owen, uh, oh, singer right. who's also Welsh, and that she talked about that her dominant memory of of Christmas growing up in Wales was also really was of just of singing, and it was you know whether it was people coming to the house and singing carols or but it was that singing together was really was the central memory for her of uh, of Christmas growing up. Yeah, we used to go out and you'd go around to people's houses and sing carols and get money. <laughs> <laughs> you'd knock on someone's door and then you'd sort of sing a carol and then they would uh, they would open it open the door and give you a little bit of money in the, in the hope that you'd go away right it was kind of a bit of a you know sometimes it could be quite you'd get some sort of big lads who couldn't really sing very well coming around your door and it was obvious that you were meant to give them some money to make them go away so it was a bit of a protection racket you know? right but have you ever read Dylan Thomas's, you know, uh, Child's Christmas in Wales? I mean, that's kind of the 1920s and my childhood Christmas is the 1960s, but there's quite a lot in common. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's good to know. So. Yeah, I mean, I really not that much changed in Wales, really. I mean, in the way people celebrate it. It was, when I was a kid, you know, my family, my mother's side of the family lived in, you know, fairly... It was kind of rural, industrial, you know, the sense that you're up the valleys and it was be, they worked in some kind of, you know, industrial plant or the coal mine, but basically they lived in um, almost on farmland, you know, because you're out. It was so, it was quite primitive living in a sense. And there was that influence of kind of, you know, the new consumerism and post war affluence coming in. But I think when I was a, a little kid. I just remember the, the the Christmas Dylan Thomas describes. It's not that different from what what I I went through. You no. know, he talks about people like playing you know playing the piano and singing, and drinking and playing games and that's what it was like. It wasn't you know it, we didn't really go. We never would never go out for Christmas. It would be people would come, endless streams of relatives and cousins coming around and playing games and singing singing old pagan songs, which is right. a weird thing. My family had a tradition of singing Green Grow the Rushes Oh, which I suppose is, is biblical, but it sounds sounds more pagan. When, do you know that song? I, vaguely. I'll give you one oh, Green Grow the Rushes Oh. What is your one oh? One is one and all alone and ever more shall be so. And, it, and the whole family would have to stand up in a circle and sing this song. <laughs> You know, it's weird lines like two, two, the lily white boys all dressed up in green, ho, ho, which is, I don't know, Robin Hood or some kind of you know, <laughs> well, uh, weird, weird stuff. I 
will give you one O. Green gold rush is O, what is your one O? One is one and all alone and evermore shall be it so. I'll give you two O. Green gold rush is O, what is your two O? Two, two, the lily white boy is clothed all in green O. One is one and all alone and evermore shall be it so. I'll sing you three O. Green gold rush is O, what is your three O? You know, one thing I think is always I'm always fascinated by about Christmas celebrations is is how much of it does draw from from pagan times, and that you know the uh, Puritans actually outlawed Christmas uh, in the state. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah, I, I heard that. They uh, yeah, because partly because the uh, Christmas in December, the the birth of Jesus in December, was basically a choice by the part of the Catholic Church to put the, a celebration of Jesus' birth where there already was a celebration. And oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. And, summer, it was the winter solstice exactly. festival, and that's right. when everybody was out partying. So yeah. let's, you know, let's let's do it then. I mean, there's, it's actually in that song I did with the men of Gwent, it's referred, I refer to the, the guy that was the Dean of Monmouth, at the time when I was a little kid and I used to go to Sunday school and he was called Reverend Ellis Evans and he was a lovely, lovely man. And I remember him telling us one day, it was just a beautiful story. No, no one knows when Jesus was born. Nobody knew, but they decided they'd, it was a, they'd make a beautiful story about it and have a big festival when, you know, and that's all it is. Just a lovely story. Yeah, it was great. It was, I, I understood that. I think that, you know, he imparted something very sophisticated to me right. in terms of understanding religion, you know, from the inside. Right. Presumably, if he was in Alabama or kind of, you know, over here, he'd have been hung, drawn, and quartered for such <laughs> heretical <laughs> views. But uh, I thought that was very, you know, I, under I understood the Bible and religion from a very early age that they were lovely stories. Right. That were written by people trying to understand what was going on. That they weren't like written by God. It was people trying to work out what was happening to him. So, right. And I think the Christmas story is kind of a lovely story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, sort of it's kind of socialist, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Most of the Jesus stuff is pretty socialist. So, and and how it's got turned around by the you know, you know apocalyptic loonies in this country now is <laughs> kind of amazing to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. It is like you know you you actually if, if you just read it. Is it, it doesn't you 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 don't you have to turn it upside down to get it to be uh, as, as sort of as uh, restrictive and yeah. uh, as as it is. But you know, there's reasons why an organization like you know organized church, Catholic church, yeah, you know, hugely corrupt, you know, and bodies that you know, had protected themselves by quelling the freedoms of others, you know, so it's, I don't know, Christmas doesn't seem, you know, the, the religious aspect of Christmas that I understood was, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely story and, you know, it's, it's people being nice to each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so quite simple. So moving forward, when you were, so, you know, 1977 was, uh, 
you know, Mekon's form are forming in uh, in Leeds. And what would your punk rock self have, have set, thought about making Christmas music at that time? Well, we thought about doing a Christmas record. Ah. We thought it'd be kind of funny to do a punk rock Christmas record. Like Mark from the Mekon suggested Christmas is just another Sunday afternoon. <laughs> like, it's boring. But we never bothered to write it because we didn't really feel like we had the need to. Yeah, I wrote that song for the men of Gwent because somebody actually said they were making a Christmas record. And, you know, I, it's some Christmas music I really like. So I thought that'd be funny to do, to have a Christmas record. And I just thought, well, what would it be? You know, what would I write about? And it would just, it's just kind of memories of memories of what Christmas was like when I was a kid, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, go sorry, ahead. go on. No, no, go ahead. I can't remember what I was going to say. Okay. All right. Well, all right. I was, I was going to come back to Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray in a second, but you just said there were some Christmas songs you quite liked. Uh, what are some of those? Well, every year in England, there was a battle on the, you know, there was a Christmas hit every year. And it was kind of funny, you know, the top of the pops would all, you know, the, there would have to be a Christmas song at number one. And what's going to be the, everyone would talk about it for months. What's going to be the Christmas? Who's going to have the Christmas hit this year? Will it be Cliff Richard or blah, 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 blah? You know, and mostly they were pretty boring, cloying songs. But I think Slade had a really good one. It's a, Slade had one called, uh, how's it called? Is it Merry Christmas, everybody? <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. I was, I was trying to yeah. have, to, have to sing it. I'd have to have sung it all the way through. Right, right. To have arrived at that answer. Uh, I think Wizard had one as well, which was Roy Wood's Wizard. Yeah, Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. Yeah, that was a good one as well. You know, and it was kind of, it was kind of cool that the bands you liked actually did did these Christmas songs. But again, the, the Slade Christmas song was about, you know, partying around your around your house with your family right and, yeah it was a they were actually kind of really about what people's christmases were like Always amazed at just at how massive, you know, how big that song is in England, and how non-existent that song is in North America, and uh, that like Naughty Holder just doesn't translate to American ears somehow. Um, One of the greatest rock vocalists of all time. That's what I think. I think I want to go to you know I want to go to the party that Naughty Holder is singing about. I know. He's genuine, working-class British rocker. He's fantastic. I always loved Noddy Holder. That was one of the first records I ever bought 
uh, with Slade singles and you know because I love you look what I've done take me back home goodbye to Jane mama we were all crazy now I had all those singles and I thought they were great and they were just very immediate simple rock and roll songs and um yeah it's I actually sang uh Merry Christmas everybody with Judith Owen oh really at oh, an excellent. event in Chicago because they do a Christmas sing along every year. Right. Uh, her and Harry Shearer come to town, and I got to meet them through um, actually through Denise at uh, the gallery in the Mew Gallery in New Orleans. Right. And uh, uh, they popped in to see my exhibit, and then Judith, being Welsh, said, "Oh, you must come and sing with us at Christmas." So they come every year, and I've been singing with them the last few years. We I'm plowing through British number one hits. Oh, excellent! So I think what I'm looking at see what was number one in England a certain year. Then I try and sing that song for the audience. And most of them go way over the heads of the American audience because they've, they've never heard them. Sure. You know, there's Fairy Tale in New York, The Pogues, Kirsty McCall, one we did last year. I did the Jonah Louie one a few years ago. Do you know that one? No, that one I don't know. I, now I have to look for that. What someone, is it? Was it someone, someone Send the Cavalry, or I can't remember what it's called, Some about Cavalry. I learned it off by heart, and I can't remember the title. <laughs> One of those things uh, you learn long like enough to do it. It's like a First World War kind of like Christmas song, and he had a very evocative video that went went with it. Um, you know, there is a, it's a real genre that 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 Christmas hit. I think you have to have a bit of sleigh bells, a bit of a, a bit of brass bandy sort of music in it, and then generally. A video which has some snow falling down, and you get a number one. Now, Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray, which is a song you meant talking about that you recorded with the men of Gwent, that has none of those things. Um, did you not? It doesn't have, have the video. No, we didn't. I did have a little video, but does, does, it, was, it was so so lo-fi that nobody ever watched it. Is that transporter bridge in it? Is the the bridge in it? I remember seeing. A, I saw a video for it. And it has, a, and it looks like it has a, it's a black and white video. And at one point, it's like clearly a bridge. And I was wondering if that was transport. Yeah, that's bridge. the transport bridge in Newport. Okay, I think probably that's uh, that's Newport's industrial landmark, which is in a constant day-to-day battle for survival. Right. And I send a little bit of money every year in the vague hope that people will not knock it down. Right. Uh, the uh, evil local council has been plotting its demise because the maintenance is so high on it but it's a, it's a unique structure i mean there's there's a few in the world but it's the only one in wales and the only working one in britain i think where you build you know because the tidal range was so high on the river you have to have this kind of gondola which dangles and you can park a few cars and put a few people on and it kind of cruises across the river on these wire chains driven by a locomotive going across a rail track about 500 feet in the air. It's uh, it's brilliant. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's something I always loved it when I was a kid, and it's it's kind of inexplicable, and it's a total relic of a, a past that's been, you know, eroded away. So Sure. You know, your roots in, in Wales are clearly important. Were they always equally important? Yeah, I think when I moved to the States, I suddenly I started writing 
I was, had a lot of time kind of just on my own when I first moved to the States and I started writing songs, which wasn't something I'd ever done on my own before, really. I'd only written songs like with the Mekons or in the Three Johns and uh, and, I, and I suddenly found a lot of the songs were about my hometown. I guess I was writing about what I knew about and and going back and forth. I was spending less time up in Yorkshire in Leeds. I was I was going mostly when I'd come back from America, I would go and spend time in Newport and visit family, and I could see the changes clearer, you know, sure. than than I could before because uh, it would it threw things into some sort of kind of you know dramatic relief, and I could actually see the changes that were happening to the town and things that weren't really good, you know, right. The effect, the effects of kind of monetarist Thatcherite policies on industrial towns where nothing was put in, nothing was put in place to soften the blow of getting rid of manufacturing industries, coal mining, steel. Yeah. And my town took the brunt of that. And then there was a kind of, you know, regeneration of other areas in Britain and even the capital of Wales, Cardiff, which is nearby, kind of came started to come up and find its own identity more as a European city than a, you know, a British city, and that was quite interesting. While Newport still lurked in the doldrums, you know. So I think I've, I just wrote a lot of stuff about that. The miners' strike was very affecting to me. It felt like the last stand of. Uh, you know, progressive working class union power and uh, nothing as good has come of it, you know. So I just, I felt like someone should be documenting or not, I don't know, or just, I couldn't, I don't know if I felt that. Actually. I think I just, I couldn't help myself. I just, that's that was my subject matter. Sure. I wrote a lot of songs about that. And I think the first album came out about 97, my first solo record of songs that I'd written and mo you know, the whole thing was really about about my experiences in Wales. Right. Yeah, it you know, I guess I I asked for two reasons. Partly because I think you know, one of the things I've been fascinated by, you know, you know, with musicians probably with musicians who I've listened to for a long time like you, but also, you know, as you know, as you know, as you go through a career, you know, that the ways in which, you know, your you know, your interests, you know, the interests of any artist kind of worth paying attention to, you know, naturally they kind of grow or develop or shift. And in some ways, like, it seems like, you know, that this, you know, that, you know, whales and you're you know, fed, you know, kind of fed your imagination more. And it may be that the issues that interested you were all playing out there in a, such a, in, in such a dramatic way, you know, that it drew you in. Uh, but also I'm interested in it because, the way in which that kind of explains a song like Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray, and that it, it feels, you know, it feels more personal certainly than, you know, than, uh, than like the Waco's brothers, Merry Christmas to me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that probably would have benefited from not being written on the spot. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a bit of thought put into Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray. Right. So there you go. Bells are ringing to the cold 
wagons knocking on the door My nostril finger will succeed No church for me, I have a nosebleed Christmas morning, Christmas night Christmas tree and Christmas lights Merry Christmas world at Spill my brandy on the floor Light the pudding, beat the drum Down the chimney something comes Christmas Eve and Boxing Day Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray Reverend Alice Evans said to me It's a lovely story, don't you see? That's all it is Party seven in a mountain's top Says in the August someone robbed the Christmas club Gravy, skin and fat peas For those in peril on cities Red faces tiptoe landing where did that title come from? A friend called Carol and a friend called Ray. I knew it. I... <laughs> um, it was just kind of like a Christmas carol, you know, might be a person rather than a song. Right. Yeah, it, it took me a minute. Uh, and Marsha, a few family members get mentioned in that one. So. Now, I guess to, to go from that to the, to the uh, Waco Brothers, Merry Christmas to me, where did that come from? And we were doing a one of those lunchtime things at WGN, advertise, you know, which is a TV station where you, you go on and you kind of play out of the out of the news. Right. And they say tonight, uh, tonight at Tubers, we got the Waco Brothers playing their annual Christmas show. Here they are in the studio, and then we played a couple of songs. But then you have a lot of standing around, and I had a little recording device with me, so we decided we should make a Christmas. Song song so that was it but we only had a, we had about 15 minutes to write and record it and <laughs> that's what you hear so i really like it actually yeah actually so do i i mean it's it's <laughs> it's such a specific a about, thing i like the fact that there's a bit about long boats in it and i never quite understood where that came from <laughs> or why there's why we've got Nor norsemen in a in a christmas song but i guess it was like you know Referencing the paganness of the whole situation. Amazon. 
Dinosaur Christmas with the Wee Harry Beasties. Yeah, that's now that I would say is one of my. That's a, a fully formed concept. That was written for a pantomime, or maybe it was written for the Wee Harry Beasties, but then it became part of a pantomime that me and Sally were involved in, uh, which was called. You, ever, you know what a pantomime is? It's like a Christmas show that people do. Right. In, in Britain, it's like usually a kind of it can be a you know West End kind of like show with a local with a you know re- recent pop star in it or you know kind of like people off the TV or it can be just a very local community type thing. Right. And uh, we wanted to try and do one here in in Chicago. So Sally had been to see Serian McKellen as Widow Twanky in London and thought this was a really good idea. So so we did it at the high down. We did it I think for five years in a row. We did a, a Christmas pantomime every year. And oh wow. Basically the singing and there's a lot of a lot of audience participation, men dressed as women, women women dressed as men, uh, basic stuff, terrible corny jokes, some lewdness, uh, no overt references to Christmas really, but we actually wrote one called uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, where Mutiny on the Be- the Beagle, where Charles Darwin um, gets washed up on Christmas Island, and the, and the, and there the, it's an island with, with dinosaurs living on it who celebrate Christmas all year round. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so, and I just thought dinosaurs celebrating Christmas was interesting historically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it could be in the Creation Museum. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, and 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 this was ob- this was a, a, a kids project. We Harry Beast. Well, it's, well, kids came, but right, and my kids were in it a bit, you know, but. Uh, that was that wasn't the wee hairy beasties. That was a, the the hideout pantomime ah. players, driven driven along with a rod of iron by Sally Timms, ah, ah, ah. who was the director, and I was the sort of script writer and pantomime dame. Um, other people had other roles. You know, there was a lot of we had a lot of artists and carpenters in it who built things. It was fantastic, actually. It's really great. Really great fun, but way too much hard work. By the time we got sort of people expected us to do it every year, we'd run out of steam. So the Wee Hairy Beasties was a band that we did. I think Dinosaur Christmas was written for the Wee Hairy Beasties originally. And then we turned it into the finale of the Christmas Panto. But uh, yeah, that was when me and Rick Sherry from Devil in a Woodpile both had young kids. And we didn't like we didn't like the children's music that was being forced upon them, so we decided to make our own children's music. Oh, that's excellent. And it was kind of again a bit a bit cleverer and a bit stupider and a bit naughtier than 
standard you know we used to call it rainbow puppy music we just didn't want to we didn't want to do rainbow puppy we wanted to do you know songs about farting and stuff like that it's gonna be a dinosaur christmas every day jurassic bells are ringing for the predators and their prey santasaur has come to town riding on his sleigh it's a dinosaur christmas every day seems very much like Christmas music when you've done it has kind of had a real specific inspiration, either one of opportunity, like like uh, Dinosaur Christmas, or just literally spur of the moment, like Merry Christmas to me, or having a real clear impetus, like you know, you know, like uh, Christmas Carol, Christmas Ray, and so. Well, I think it's a genre, isn't it, that exists, and then people people steer you towards it, you know. So, Country Mile, the label in Newport that put out the Men of Gwent, they decided they wanted to do a Christmas record. Did I have anything? And I was like, hang on, I don't right now, but in 20 minutes I will. And then, you know, we, I was going over to to England to play, so we just we, we we got together and made some made something, which was nice. It was nice, you know. It was like a nice little. That's an interesting project to me. How would the what would a Men of Gwent Christmas record sound like? And uh, it sounded good. Cool. Sounded quite Christmassy, even. That and that's the uh, an additional uh, bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to John for the time and the talk. You can reach him on Facebook at J-O-N Langford, and you can leave a comment or question from me at 12 Songs of Christmas. If you're listening to this on the 12 Songs homepage, you might want to subscribe at the Apple Store, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify so that each new episode will show up in your inbox every Wednesday between now and Twelfth Night. Thanks, as always, to AF The Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish with Langford's reading of Bloodshot Records' rewrite of The Night Before Christmas. Langford is recorded for the Chicago-based Insurgent Country label on his own and with the Waco Brothers, and he gives the reading as all. You can see that video in its entirety in the show notes, but for now, here's a taste. Talk to you next week. "'Twas a bloodshot Christmas on Irving Park Road With the skellies out front, it's our humble abode The winter was nipping at Chicago's nose like a stiff whiskey sipped by the Waco Bros. Bloodshot's devilish elves were working in a fury so that all the holiday gifts could ship in a hurry. Nan was kicking back as Hanukkah had passed and the holidays were almost over at long last. I, John Langford, came to bring cheer to the staff. Then the greetings stretched onwards to drinks and laughs. As nightfall crept up, I dozed and I yawned. Then laid upon the old couch, of which I've grown rather fond. I settled my brain for a long winter's nap. I fell into a slumber and quite a long...